Good evening. Good to be here. I'm honored to be here. Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm uh, Pastor Kyle, the campus pastor, uh, one of the campus pastors here at the Valley View Cleveland location. Um, yeah, excited to be here, share uh, this warm Wednesday evening, uh, midweek. So uh, anybody excited about the word this evening at all? All right. Um, so I, I want to, what I, one of the things that I want to do is explore with you all tonight is this idea. We always talk about this um, in church, which is a good thing, and that's that um, God longs for us to know him and for us to know, for us to know him and for him to know us. Amen. So we don't just, uh, you know, for many years I, I, I approached church just as a, as a checklist of things to do, right, wrong, you know, what not to do, things to do that are good as opposed to uh, approaching, approaching the person that is Jesus and, and, and knowing him. And it'd be like, if I, if I were to ask everybody to raise their hand, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know, do you know who Denzel Washington is? I mean, everybody raised their hand. Uh, you know, they, they know who Denzel Washington is, right? But, but if anybody said, keep your hand up, if you know Denzel Washington, I don't know. Does anybody know Denzel Washington? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I didn't think there'd be any hands up, right? So it's a difference, right? Like, it's, it's something to know a, attributes about a person uh, versus knowing a person, right? So we want to really, we want to really talk about knowing um, the Lord this evening, but specific, a specific component uh, about the Lord. And um, let me just read this quick scripture. Um, if you know me, I, I, I do like to, to throw a lot of scriptures uh, really fast. So uh, just, just yell, yell slow down if I'm going too fast, okay? Uh, Jeremiah 24, uh, chapter 24, uh, verse 9 it says, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Yeah, 24-9. And so um, it, it, the Lord wants to, as we talk about knowing God, sometimes that can be fairly abstract. And so I, I want to, for, for those that do know me, know that I'm not much of a preacher, but I do like to teach. So hopefully that's okay this evening. Um, and, and the Lord wants us to know specific components and attributes about him. And I think that there are some of us, I'm certainly one, many times we kind of fall short of this, right? Like we, like, oh, I love you, Jesus. Or, or we'll fall in love with certain components and attributes about God, but the others, you know, those other, you know, 50 out of 66 books of the Bible or whatever, we tend just to not explore those as much. And so what will happen is, and here's my whole heart behind this, is that as we go through life, things happen. And I'm not here to propose this evening that, Everything in life that'll happen to you guys is going to explain to you why. We're actually going to discover that, explore that question a little bit further. But at least it'll give us a little bit more insight into the character and the nature of God and cause us to trust him more. Amen. So my whole heart is just to, to, to bolster your faith. And so I found this quote. I, I thought it was really good. It's a, it's a wordy quote, but I'm going to read it anyways. It says, to know is to not be intellectually informed about some abstract principle, but to apprehend and experience reality. Knowledge is not the possession of information, but rather it's an exercise or actualization. So again, it's, God doesn't want us just to approach him to some sort of mental ascent. Uh, obviously, God gave us a mind. He gave us a brain, and we're to use that to glorify him. So that's certainly uh, a component of our walk with the Lord, but it's much, much more than that, okay? So we really want to deepen our, our faith in him and strengthen your relationship with him. So with that, let's, let's jump into what, what specifically we're going to talk about. I'm going to start off with a story. 
So there was a, a, a husband and a wife, and they started uh, moving through life, and they were successful. And one of the things that the, the wife always wanted was an immaculate cabin in the woods. Immaculate cabin in the woods. And so um, the husband was able to purchase this cabin uh, for uh, the wife on their, whatever, 20th anniversary. Just going to make that part up. And, you know, everything was immaculate and awesome about the cabin, uh, but there was one problem with the cabin, and that was it had a cockroach infestation. Uh-oh. <laughs> a cockroach infestation. So, so um, you know, basically, as, as they're, upon moving into the cabin, uh, they bring out the, uh, they, they bring out the, uh, the um, what, I'm drawing a blank, the exterminator, thank you, bring out the exterminator, and the exterminator looks at, looks at the, the cockroach infestation situation and, and basically eradicates the cockroaches, all right, praise God. So a year later, um, they, they enjoy the cabin for a season, shut it down, a year later they, they approach the cabin again, and lo and behold, uh, not only, uh, the cockroaches did not come back, but they had a different problem, and it was termites. Termites. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, which one's worse? So they call back the same exterminator. He kind of assesses the situation and kind of with a, like a deep sigh says, you know what? There's not really anything I can do uh, about this situation. As a matter of fact, the only thing I can think of that would get rid of these termites is cockroaches. <laughs> so the central idea behind this message, and, and, and if you are taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. It's that everything even cockroaches, <laughs> big or small, what we de deem bad or good, that God does or allows is by design. I'll say that one more time. Everything, and this is going to be, a, this might challenge some people's theology here this evening, but let's just stay with me and let's move through this together. Everything, big or small, that God either does or allows is by design. God's actions or lack thereof, we ask God to come rescue us and he doesn't seem to do anything, is always intentional. So, obviously, even I, as I say those words, I'm sure many of you are already wrestling with that. You know, is that really true? So let's, let's keep moving forward and, and uh, let's get through this, this message and, and, and see if I can convince you of that. But there's this, I want to propose to you that there's this very detailed and meticulous nature about God detailed and meticulous nature about God. That's what we're going to explore. For example, I know one of the things that's been popular talk about, topic of discussion since 2020 is this idea of uh, viruses. But did you know that a virus in and of itself does e itself have a purpose? Uh, one of the purposes that I, I saw, is, he's a, uh, a Christian uh, physicist, talk about this. He says, one of the things viruses actually do is they, they stop the uncontrollable growth of bacteria. So if it wasn't for viruses, our planet would basically become a giant slime ball, right? So even a virus, if you can, th if you can believe it or not, has a purpose. Um, another thing, I, I remember when I was a child, um, I, I remember some of, some of uh, my classmates would, would be out of, out, of, out of school for a couple of days and they'd come back and they'd say, I got, I got my appendix removed. Anybody hear, hear that before, your appendix removed? Yeah, my wife had her appendix removed. And I remember being so fearful about, you know, the fact that that could happen to me. I mean, I, I don't want to have, have a surgery, right? Like, what is an appendix? And for many years, um, you know, it was thought in medicine that a, the, the appendix had really no general purpose. But it's been only in the last 10 to 15 years that they're actually found out that the appendix 
uh, is linked to your something called your your gut health or, or healthy bacteria. So as you're you know eating right and uh, you know basically what they call something referred to as your microbiome, as that is healthy, uh, so will your appendix be, and it's able to actually house and, and, and administer healthy bacteria throughout your body. So everything has a purpose. I mean, uh, and I'm big on these analogies because these help me, but my father, he's a, he's a uh, award-winning uh, car detailer. <laughs> he was like, I don't know if he won any awards, but you know, he's really, he's retired in his retirement years. He's, uh, I think he's been retired 10, some, 10 plus years. And, um, you know, he's, he, he basically, yeah, I mean, he'll spend eight hours detailing a car, washing it and waxing it, doing all kinds of crazy things. So every time I go visit, he always takes me to his garage and just shows me the next gadget, right? Like what some unique thing that will only clean like this certain type of wheel or something like that. And, um, you know, the point is, is that every single one of these tools and gadgets that he uses has a distinct purpose. And so I want to propose to you that God is, much, is, is very much like that, that the purposes behind God's designs and function they're very distinct. They're very specific. God is extraordinarily calculated, and we must resolve this in our hearts. And so you might be saying, okay, well, why is that important, right? Like, why, why do we even care how detailed God is? We, we trust him, we know him, and all that. And, and that's a good question. Like, why is knowing this specific attribute about God important? So I, I, to answer that question, you've got to understand that this concept of purpose. So purpose itself or design is linked to abuse or sin. Let me say that again. The original design of something or the purpose of something is linked to abuse or sin. Let me give you a couple examples. Eating, right? Uh, we're able to eat to be healthy, to provide energy for our bodies. The minute we abuse that, whether we don't get the right types of foods, we eat too much food, too little food, we can end up, it can end up being very detrimental not only to our health, but even to our spiritual walk with the Lord. Uh, sex, right? Sex, very much so, has been is, is under fire, it seems like, nonstop throughout my whole lifetime, really throughout history. But God ordained sex specifically for marriage, between one man, one woman, for procreation and for intimacy, right? It's, very, it's a very distinct purpose. The minute you take that outside of the confines of that purpose, abuse and sin is inevitable, let me look at a couple of natural ones. Fire. If I have a fireplace up here uh, and we're in the middle of our wonderful Cleveland winters and our heat is out, uh, there's a very distinct purpose to that fire. It can be confined to that fireplace and provide warmth. We can cook on it. Uh, a number of the things that they used to do with fire in the frontier days. But the minute we remove the fire from the fireplace and it starts to spread in this room, and how many know that that's not a good thing, right? One more. Uh, water. Water is very, I don't have to convince you how important water is to our everyday life. But again, um, if we are able to confine water, let's say it's summertime and, and into a, you know, a rectangular, uh, you know, pool in our backyard, we can enjoy it for leisure. But if we allow a ton of water to come into our house and, you know, perhaps we have a torrential downpour, how many know that flooding, if you've ever experienced the, the heartache that is flooding, uh, that's not a good situation either, amen? So it's the idea that everything has a distinct purpose. When that purpose is altered or it is uh, modified in a way that does not line up with the Word of God, abuse, destruction, sin is inevitable, okay? And so 
to say, to say it succinctly here, when we do not know the purpose of something in any situation, it can ultimately lead to us questioning the sovereignty of God himself, okay? Sovereignty of God itself, excuse me. So questioning if God is all loving or even questioning the own, your own, uh, your, your, questioning your own belief about the existence of God. This is what many, many people, this is why many people even turn to atheism, for example. I mean, they can't, they're going through something in their life and it just doesn't reconcile what we believe about the Lord in the, in the Bible. And so, that, and so that belief gets severed or it shifts. You know, it's, it's this really in apologetics. This is like one of the, if you're, you know, thinking about going into apologetics and it's the idea of defending the word of God, one of the core questions that always comes up is if God is so loving, why does he allow bad things to happen? This is one of, one of the things we're going to explore tonight uh, gives us a little bit of insight into that question. Because a lot of times we talk about God being all-powerful, all-loving, but then our reality of our life doesn't show that way, okay, or, does, or doesn't appear that way in that particular moment or season. So let me give you a couple of examples in Scripture, and then we'll pray, and then we'll go into uh, the meat of this. But I want to give you a couple examples in the Bible. I think it's important to see these because it's very easy to sit into a service about God's favor over your life, right? Or God wanting to bless you. And we point to scriptures about that. And everybody shouts amen and we have a good time, right? But then there's other scriptures in the Bible. (laughs) There's other stories that don't necessarily always pan out that way, okay? And I want us to look at a couple of these. First one. Jesus was getting ready to be crucified, and I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 26, verse, verse 8. So, mind you, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, right? Who, we can't even fathom what he was enduring, uh, not only on the cross, but even the events that led up to the cross, okay? And basically, this is the story, if you want to read the full story, it's, it's, it's the woman with the alabaster box, and she presented it before the Lord, before Jesus, and so then when, in verse 8, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why the waste? Again, there's a misalignment of the understanding of purpose. Let's see what the disciples thought the purpose really should be for this particular item of great value. Verse 9, for this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Let me pause here. I think we would all agree that's a good purpose. Would anybody disagree with that? Right? I mean, selling a, a possession of great value and giving it to the poor, the needy. Well, we would all agree that's a good purpose. Let's see what Jesus says, and let's see what the specific rebuke is. Verse 10, but Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me, for you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. It's this idea that social welfare in that particular moment was not God's purpose. It doesn't, so I, that's a whole other message, but let me keep going through my examples. I did do a message on that uh, a little bit ago. Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. Again, this is when Jesus' ministry was starting to really pick up steam. And, um, you know, John, John the, uh, the baptizer uh, was in prison. And, um, you know, I, I think he asked a pretty fair question because it's like, you know, if, he's, <laughs> if you're going to be locked up for a cause and later on beheaded, you want to make sure, like, you did, did it for the right, you know, reason. <laughs> like, did it for the right, the real Jesus, right, the real king. So uh, he had some doubts, and Jesus said to him, go and, tell Jesus, or go and tell John what you hear and see. Verse 5, the blind receive their sight. We know the scripture, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf, deaf hear, the dead are raised up. And, and I really want to focus on this last part. And the poor have good news preached to them. Notice he didn't say the poor have all their needs met. The poor have, uh, the poor are now rich, right? 
it's this idea, yet again, very similar to the other scripture, that um, Jesus came to, to, to bring heaven to earth, ultimately to die to the cross, that, what, that would become what we call, <clears throat> excuse me, the gospel, the good news. Not necessarily to provide, um, you know, to provide riches and all the things that we'll experience in heaven, this side of heaven. Amen? And so it explains a whole lot, especially in the previous verse that we looked at that says, you will, the, the poor will always be with you, right? It's this idea, we'll look at a couple more, uh, a couple more scriptures, is that there are many people today that will pr- propose that the Christian life, of way of living, uh, that, you're, that we all should be, you know, grossly rich or something like that, okay? But the scriptures are very, are, are, are very counter to that uh, ideology. And let's look at one more. This is Matthew chapter 26, verses 53 to 54. And again, this is, this is, we're talking about a couple examples of where, and I'm certain if we were all walking with Jesus during this time, we would probably have these same questions and doubts about, hey, why are you really here? right? Remember, Jesus came at a very specific and strategic time. It was the time not where, when Israel was even a sovereign nation anymore. They were, they were ruled and governed by the great Roman Empire, okay, which is very, very important. There's so much to, to teach and to understand and know there. But when the people were expecting a Messiah, they weren't just expecting someone to come um, to forgive their sins and all that. As a matter of fact, many of them very specifically were expecting somebody to come in all power and might to overthrow the Roman Empire. Okay, you got to understand that because it's that same thinking is still around today. Like it's still around today. That all that great, wonderful stuff will happen, but we read about that in the book of Revelation, and that's another message. Okay, so let me read verse 26, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 26, verses 53 and 54. Um, and this is when Jesus, I love this story. Jesus is, um, you know, getting arrested and, and Peter cuts off the, the, the guard's ear. And, and here's the rebuke. He's saying, listen, do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send uh, more than 12 legions of angels? In other words, Jesus is like, listen, I, I have to get to the cross. I could very easily do my own thing and kind of, uh, you know, play superhero, if you will. OK, for, for, for lack of a better term. But verse 54, but, that, but this is what he says, but then how should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? So let me ask you a question. I think I've shared this before, but if all Jesus did was come to this earth, was to heal the sick, heal the blind, uh, teach the good news, feed people, love people, but then beam up to heaven and not die on the cross, that would be awesome for those people during that time. But how many know none of us would be here? Like Jesus's ultimate purpose was the cross, Okay. And so um, one more, uh, excuse me, I won't read the scripture. I, I want to share this because it, ever since I learned this, it's, um, it's still really fascinating to me. But uh, those of us that know the story before Jesus was, or while Jesus, excuse me, was on trial, uh, there was really one key opportunity for Jesus to be let go, for, uh, let go and, and, and not have to endure the cross. And, you know, ultimately what happened was uh, there was a choice given to the people, um, you know, would they uh, accept another prisoner uh, to be released or not released? And the other prisoner, we refer to him as, as Barabbas, okay? And many of us know the story where, you know, you know the crowd shouted, give us Barabbas, right? Um, and, 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 and opting to kill, you know, wanting to send Jesus to the cross. But, but one of the things that's really, you, there's, there's, many theologians believe that, uh, so for those that don't know, Barabbas was, was not just a criminal, 
but he was a specific, uh, he was in, in prison for a very specific reason. Uh, he, he was basically what they used to refer to as uh, the, the, uh, the zealots at the, at the, back in that time, and they were basically radicals. And so they would do, uh, they, would, they wouldn't just commit violent acts or, um, or, or theft or these kinds of things just because. Uh, it was very specific. It was with the goal, again, of overthrowing the Roman government. It was basic, they were basically revolutionaries. Uh, some theologians believe that Barabbas' uh, first name was Jesus. So, and you can look this up, but so if you could just hang with me for a second, could you imagine them shouting, not just only give us Barabbas, but give us Jesus Barabbas. And so what am I saying? I'm, I'm, I'm proposing to you that as the crowd shouted, give us Jesus Barabbas, they were effectively saying, we don't want this type of Jesus, this one that, that professes to be God in the flesh, that professes to uh, want us to love our neighbor. We want this type of Jesus one that is going to literally physically fight for our freedom today, one that is a revolutionary, okay? I won't, more I can say there, I won't, I won't go further. So here's the point, because um, that, again, that's a whole other message in and of itself. It's that, you want to write this down, is that God is concerned with your personal affairs. I, I, I know we we really, we all come to, to a service like this or Sundays or we come to the Lord because it's very intimate and personal to us. And, 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 I, and I want to propose to you that God still is concerned with, with your affairs personally. He's a personal God. Uh, I, I don't want anyone to, to, to mishear me, okay? However, however, nothing surpasses his greater purposes. Let me say it again. God is concerned with your personal situation. He is, Okay? And we love him for that. But nothing passes his greater purposes. There's many examples I can pick in the Bible, but uh, here's three quick ones. Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it was, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really cool story to look at because God entertained Abraham for a period of time. The ultimate, God knew ultimately that, that the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed due to their debauchery and sin. But God yet still allowed Abraham to intervene on behalf of that city. But his, God's greater purpose still prevailed. Hezekiah, uh, many of us know the story. Hezekiah was nearing the end of his life, and he grew, he grew ill. And ultimately, um, Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, and God extended his life. He healed him. But it's, there's something very sobering at the end of, I don't have the scripture verse, but at the end of Hezekiah's life, essentially God tells Hezekiah, listen, um, be, because of your, your line and because of the, the disobedience in your lineage, you're not going to see uh, you're, you're not going to see the nation of uh, Israel and Judah conquered, but but they're still going to be conquered. <laughs> like in other words, they're still going to be judged. My purposes are still going to fulfill themselves. I'll give one more Ezekiel. I'm, I'm reading through the book of Ezekiel right now, um, struggling <laughs> struggling through the book of Ezekiel right now. But it's really interesting because Ezekiel uh, was his purpose or so he thought, was to be a priest. As a matter of fact, it was either on or around his, 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 uh, when he turned the age of 30, which is typically the age that you would enter into uh, being a, a priest back then, uh, he was taken off into captivity in the, in, into the, uh, the Babylonian city of Babylon. And so um, even though, okay, even though God still loved him, God had a plan for his life, God was in control, God's purposes prevailed. 
I want to, this is one of, my, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible to think over and meditate on, and it's Proverbs 19 and 21. It says, many are the plans and the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your purposes, God. Just this evening, open up our hearts. Let us humble ourselves and receive your truth, knowing that your truth is better for us than anything else. Um, and so we submit our lives to you. Uh, share Holy Spirit exactly what you would have for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So what I want to propose uh, in the rest of the time are three stages of revealing purpose. And I think um, what you'll see is that uh, hopefully there's some revelation that'll come to light as we go through each one of these stages. Because if you're like me, like I'm actually even currently in a season, it seems like a lot of us will be in seasons where if there's not one thing, there might be a lot of things happening at the same time in our life. And we're like, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in a situation. And we kind of squirm a little bit, whether it's related to your job, whether it's related to a relationship, whatever it is, I want to propose to you that irrespective of the circumstance that you're in this evening, that God is still a God, that he can still reveal purpose. Amen? So and each, at each stage, I want to show you there's a specific ingredients, right? So if you're, if you're any bakers in here, right, you've got, if you're baking a cake, you've got your flour, you've got your butter and all your eggs and all your stuff, right? So at each stage of God revealing purpose, there's also a specific ingredient that God really is after. I mean, God really, like I told you, his purposes are higher, right? So we may want that new job and stuff like that, but God wants to, you know, resolve patience in you or something like that, right? I'm just, that's just an example, all right? And so stage, first stage, first stage is pursuit. These are all P's. Try to do some alliteration here, pursuit. And the specific ingredient God wants to reveal in the stage of pursuit is something on perseverance. So the question is, is that why does God often hide purpose, right? You ever think about that, right? Like, why don't you just, you know, get born and, you know, you kind of grow up. And then when you turn 18, God sits you down and says, okay, I want you to do, 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 do And he just gives you a list. You say, okay, Lord. And you just go forth with that list. Why does it often seem hidden or unclear? Why do things happen in our lives that many times appear to lack meaning? I think I've shared this many times before, but in 2019, the entire calendar year, I struggled through this physical ailment. Uh, it started, there was a snowstorm in, in, on a Sunday in January, and um, all the symptoms arose up that day, and they carried all the way through, you know, a couple days after Christmas. And so in that time, and there, it's during those times, you're like, well, God, could you reveal purpose? Because this is very uncomfortable. And so the answer to that question is the same reason why Jesus asked the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, do you want to be healed? I mean, it seems kind of a silly question, right? Uh, he had been lame or he couldn't walk for, I want to say it was 37, 38 years, something like that. It was, a, it was a very long time. And Jesus, before he healed him, he asked him this really weird question, do you want to be healed? We'll come back to that. So in James 4 and 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So here's a, here's a principle, and you should write this down. God provides all you need before you are aware of it. Let me write this down. I mean, let me say it again. Excuse me. God provides all you need before you are aware of it. A couple of, one quick, two quick examples. If you think about it, if you go back and read Genesis, God first made water. He first made land, right, before man and woman, right? Could you imagine if the book of Genesis was written and it's like, God, Genesis, 
you know, chapter one, verse one, God created man and woman and they're just out floating in space. No, like God prepares, right, all you need before, right? It's like, you know, I have three boys and, and you know, we didn't just like wait till the children arrived to go out and buy diapers, right? Like it's not how it works. We, we do something called a baby shower, right? So you're, you, I remember we were in a, you know, one bedroom apartment. We literally had diapers to the ceiling. And, and, the, and the idea is that you're, you're preparing all you need before, okay, your purpose, your gifting, whatever it is, is revealed. Okay, very, very simple statement, but very profound. Um, I play video games with my, my children, and, uh, you know, one of the unique things you can do in, in some of the games is you can effectively create your own avatar or your own version of you, right? Um, and so it's really interesting, right? Like, that's, that, we kind of live, well, yeah, we, we definitely live, you just, you, I don't, I don't, I don't encourage anybody to watch, watch the news. I've been saying that for several years. But if you were to, you'd, you'd see that we live in a society today where um, people want to just create their own truth, right? Create their own versions of themselves. I don't have to convince you of that. That's that's very popular. But but you gotta like you gotta understand. You gotta think, right? Like why didn't like did anybody when they were in the womb? Does anybody remember being in the womb? And did you do you remember filling out an, an at your creative character of yourself like in the womb? Wouldn't that be cool? Like you were still in the womb those nine months. And, and the Holy Spirit's interviewing you, say, okay, I want, you know, what kind of hair do you want, right? And no, like, none of us did that, right? Kind of a silly, silly question. Why? God already had a plan in mind first. That's the point I'm making. And so this is a really unique, uh, f- like, uh, flow if you watch this. So in the world, like, the way that this works is you have, um, what the world does is they first say, be productive or um, in something, right? Like, do something. That thing will determine your worth, your value, and ultimately your identity, right? That's how the world works, okay? So, you know, LeBron, go dribble that basketball, right? Be really good at dribbling a basketball. That's going to provide him value, and as a a result, it's going to lead to his identity, who we know him to be, okay? In the kingdom, it's the exact opposite. When you're walking in the kingdom of heaven with the hope— in lockstep with the Holy Spirit, the first thing God does to you when you're saved is he will reveal, and not just the first thing, but the thing he constantly does is to reveal your identity. He does that first. Pastor Troy did an amazing message about three or four weeks ago. If you weren't here, you got to go like check it out. Forget what it was called, but yeah, you guys probably know what I talking. He wrote all on this whiteboard, scribbled it up, but he'll reveal your identity first. Here's who I called you to be. Go read the scriptures. You'll see that people had different names. He said, no, 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 but your name is really this. This is your identity. Based on that word, now you've got value. And now that you've got value, now you can start doing some stuff and be productive in some stuff. So it's the complete opposite. Here it is in the scriptures, very popular verse, Ephesians 2 and 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, beforehand that we should walk in them. Proverbs 20 and 5, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So there's really two reasons ultimately why we won't persevere in discovering what our true purpose is in general, but also in individual specific situations, right? C- certainly situations that um, we, you know, we, we, we struggle in. By the way, I, as, a, as an aside, really look at, you can look at this whole message through the lens of David. It's really interesting because, you know, he's got this 
vast, giant purpose, but then he's got all these segmented seasons in his life. And David goes through this, this exact process. But there's really two reasons why we won't persevere, and it's core two reasons. It's pride and fear. Pride and fear. Pride because it takes great humility to say, I don't know God, show me. And that alone, we know the scripture, pride comes before the fall. That alone will cause God to, well, it's not even God. I mean, it'll cause you not to get a revelation of purpose. But then also this idea of fear, specifically something that I refer to as the threshold of fear. It's, I use this, I use this analogy before, but it's one of, the, one of the things that, if you know me, that I'm, know, know that I'm extraordinarily terrified of. It's pretty much any wildlife, like any, almost any kind of animal uh, in, in nature, but specifically snakes. And so I, have, I live up against some, some, some woods, and I hear some chuckles because I've used this, the snakes analogy a lot. But um, anyways, could you imagine if God says, hey, your purpose is on that back wall, and we're all up on this stage, but this whole room is just littered with poisonous snakes, Right. And it's the idea that in order for you to get to your purpose there, there's nothing you can do other than walking through that threshold of fear. Um, one, of the, one of the things, like even me standing up here and speaking, um, I, I used to be terrified of speaking in front of crowds more than three people, right? But it's the idea that the Lord, reveal, part of revealing your purpose is always going to be this idea of you have to go through the threshold of fear. I found this quote, and I thought it was really appropriate here. It says, fear alone ensures we remain ignorant. I'll read that again. Fear alone ensures we remain ignorant. So pride and fear. So let's revisit the question, and we'll move on to number two. So why does God appear to hide purpose? It's ultimately, it boils down to this. It's this principle of capacity and understanding. So God knows that one of the most important keys to unlocking your purpose is not about information, but it's about transformation. Okay? So God withholds revelation not because we are unable to see, but because, again, like I said, oftentimes we just simply don't want to see. And so it's not a question of God revealing, but rather a seeking, seeking meaning in everything, pursuing purpose in every, every season. So pursuit and perseverance, number one. Number two, preparation. Preparation. And unfortunately, the ingredient for this stage is patience, but along with this patience is pain. So once we have come into agreement with God that we must be transformed, we quickly learn that the revealing of purpose is not an overnight thing, right? Again, whether or not we're in a season of time or just in general in life, it's not an overnight thing. This is truly, in my opinion, the hardest stage of this, but it cannot be skipped or avoided. When you look at David, Moses, Noah, Peter, Paul, Jesus, Ezekiel, if you look at, just, just for starters, um, there are periods of time, long periods of time, where there's waiting, where there's struggle, where there's pain. Purpose is often limited to time. I mean, you think about going back to the, the newborn analogy. You think about we've got, we all had at one point in our time baby teeth, right? The baby teeth had its very specific purpose. Once that purpose was fulfilled, the baby teeth were gone, right? You could even keep going down this analogy, umbilical cords, right? Like, you know, umbilical cords, very distinct purpose for a very distinct time. I even take it into our church, speaking in tongues, right? In the whole Old Testament, speaking in tongues, 
wasn't a thing, right? Again, it was designed for a very distinct point in time, okay? And so, another principle is this idea, we're talking about preparation and how pain is oftentimes an ingredient in this situation. This is like, I'm going to blow through this one for sake of time, but I, just, I do want to kind of maybe pause for a little bit because um, some of this stuff, even perhaps even as I'm speaking, it's, it can be really heavy because you can already be thinking about previous seasons of your life, perhaps current seasons of your life, or even others that you know that are going through some, some real serious stuff, right? And, and, and I'm not proposing by no means that that's not serious and that's not uh, comfortable or no light matter. However, I am, again, proposing to you how God wants to address it, okay? And so one of the main ways he wants to address it is this idea of repurposing something, repurposing something. Very rarely, very rarely, if at all, does God just say, let's start over from scratch. Very rarely. God never wastes, he repurposes. A couple, uh, I'm in business, and so I like sometimes some of these business stories, uh, they stay with me. Two quick ones. Uh, two products that we know, um, the Post-it, right? Like if you've worked in an office environment at any, you know, any level, uh, you've, or even in school, whatever, odds are you've put some Post-it notes together, or something like that. Well, did you know that the Post-it note was actually invented by mistake? <laughs> uh, so 3M, the company that invented it, were basically trying to develop a very, very strong adhesive, <laughs> and they failed, right? They failed. And they made the adhesive that goes in the back of the post-it. But how many know, like, a post-it has been one of their revenue drivers for I don't know how long, right? So a failure turned into an, a, a really, really big success. Or what about Coca-Cola? <laughs> this one's funny. Coca-Cola was originally developed, the mandate or the goal was to create something that would um, ease headaches. <laughs> I don't know. Coca-Cola, I think, does the opposite. Um, but... There's, I don't need to tell you about how successful Coca-Cola has been over the years, right? But, but, but in those stories, they teach something, right? They teach that even in a failure, it can be repurposed into something way, way greater. How about the word? I mean, Joseph, one of, one of um, my favorite stories in all the Bible, um, we, we see that the very same thing, right, from slavery. I mean, Joseph, the story of Joseph is just incredible, right? Like, I couldn't imagine his life because... The guy was a slave, he was a servant, right? The very thing, that thing, that path that he had to take, which nobody would volunteer for that path, I don't think, right? That very same path was meant to, that was meant to destroy him, God took it, he repurposed it, and as a result, birthed a nation out of that story, the whole nation of Israel. I mean, just an incredible story. So many stories like that in the Bible. So what am I telling you? I know this is a little cliche, but forgive me, but it's still the truth. We... we we have to embrace and figure out a way to embrace pain, embrace failure, right? Um, yeah, the, these, there's this lie that says like when you fail or you're, or you're enduring something, that something's wrong with you or, or perhaps, um, you know, uh, you do, you're, you're, you've sinned or you've messed up. I want to propose to you the exact opposite, that the thing, that pain, that failure, those same things, if we just give it to God and put it in his hands, God will repurpose it. And God was never, he was never surprised by that. As a matter of fact, he, he quite possibly foreshadowed or ordained it all along. I'm not proposing that God causes bad things, but just like the story of Job, God certainly will allow those things to seemingly have their way for a season to reveal a bigger purpose. 
let's look at James. I mean, James chapter one and three talks about this. I won't read the scripture. You should, I encourage you to go read all of James chapter one, but there's this word that's, that's used there and it, and it talks about producing something called steadfastness. I think some of the translations say patience, but let me just, I'm gonna read the definition and, and, and I don't have the Greek word, but th- just so you can see the real definition. It, it says this thing that God wants to produce in you out of pain, it's the New Testament characteristic of a person who is not swerved from their deliberate purpose and their loyalty to faith by even the greatest trials and sufferings. So again, the reality is just like we're not, you know, we don't just grow up and all of a sudden become like Pastor Dominic and really fit. <laughs> I mean, I mean to put you on the spot again, right? You don't just start growing those faith muscles by accident or happenstance. Those trials, those seasons of dryness, uh, God wants to take those and repurpose them, repurpose them. First Thessalonians 5 and 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so while you're, in, while you, in, uh, excuse me, while preparing you, you will encounter both tests and traps. Okay. So the difference between, uh, just to help, help you out with this, the difference between a test and a trap ultimately it depends on the one that's initiating it, right? So Satan will lay traps for you. God will lay tests for you, okay? So that's important to know, and, and, and that could be something that could be explored further. But the, the, the reason why I called that out is that the good news is, is that God himself, whether it is a trap or a test, can still bring something good out of it, right? I mean, you look no further than, again, I go back to the, the test of Abraham with Isaac, Uh, or the traps that were laid down before Joseph. I mean, it didn't matter who was initiating it, but God still brought out something greater. And so, in conclusion on this point, you can either be better or bitter. I mean, the reality is we live in a fallen world. So when bad things happen to us, you got two choices. You give it to God, you allow him and you trust him to repurpose that thing to create something greater, or you just continue to harbor resentment and bitterness and frustration Uh, over time because of your situation, because of what you're going through. And ultimately, the end of that path, I'm just here to tell you, is is not a good one. It's not a God-ordained one. But to encourage you even further, many times the source of trouble could also be the source of a blessing. Again, there's so many many scriptural uh, examples of this. Could it be that the Lord is using that to produce something greater, right? More examples, if you want to look at this life of Joshua, David, Esther. Uh, I mentioned before, I'm even in a, I've been in a season for the last probably year and a half uh, with, you know, my own personal wrestling on this. This is part of the reason why God gave me this word is because I want this circumstance changed now, right? Like you ever been in that situation? You want this thing changed now or yesterday. And God, it's like, God, you must not be hearing me right, right? And so I have to trust, I have to trust that he's got, a, he's got a purpose, that he's causing this to linger or to tarry for a little bit to reveal something bigger that, that I, I can't see. God wants to transform your pains or problems into a platform. One of, the, one of the cool stories I heard on this, there's this Australian surfer, her name's Bethany Hamilton. I don't know if anybody's seen this movie. It came out maybe 10 years ago. It's called Soul Surfer. And she was a believer uh, she's, she was a believer. She still is a believer. But uh, as she's surfing, that was her passion, uh, her whole arm got bit off by a shark. <laughs> like, how many want their arm getting bit off? <laughs> like, <laughs> I won't even go in the ocean, I promise you. Like, I, I'll go in, like, ankle deep. It's too much stuff in the ocean. I told you, wildlife and me, 
That's my only thing. And, and, uh, and um, yeah, so her whole arm got bit off by a shark. And so the whole movie is really interesting because you, you would think God could have, she, she knew you, Lord. Like you could have eased, just like, you know, um, you know, Daniel and the lions then, you could have closed the mouth of that shark like you did the lions and you could have avoided that situation. You didn't have to have her walk the rest of her life with, with one arm, right? Like nobody wants to volunteer for these catastrophic things. And I'm sure even as I'm talking, you can think of either yourself or, uh, or someone you know, these types of things that people have gone through. But as a result, she was able to persevere through that situation, learn how to surf with one arm. And because of her story, she's literally led thousands to know Jesus since that point, since that point in time. Could it, be, could it be that God allows some of these things to happen to us for a purpose greater than ourselves? So in, in, in closing on this point, is the, the, the principle is, is that pain that is not being transformed, you should write this one down. Pain that is not being transformed, you can write it down and wrestle with it later, or if you want to wrestle with it now, pain that is not being transformed is being transmitted. And let me say it one more time, because I think we've we got to get this one. Pain that is not being transformed into something good or repurposed by God is being transmitted, and we know this is true. I mean, you look around, this world is in pain. So many people around us in pain. And when you stay that way for long enough, long enough, you're going to transmit it. My wife told me, a, I won't even share, a very tragic story. Tragic stories just seem to like, you know, come in waves these days. So we have, to rec- we have to reconcile this and say, all right, Lord, I'm in pain, but I trust you to repurpose it. And so consider the effects of two different things. When the winds blow, I want to encourage to have your faith to be more like a coal over a candle. If I have a candle here and I blow on the candle, the fire goes out. But I have a coal over here and I blow on the coals, it's only going to intensify in heat. That's the kind of faith that God wants to give us. And lastly, so we've got, we've got um, pursuit, we've got preparation, and the last stage is perspective. And this is ultimately where God wants to, wants to get us to in each of, these, each of the seasons in our life, and certainly our entire life, is to reveal perspective to us. And the ingredient he wants to give us in this stage, when I'm up here in the altar and I'm praying for people, I try to always be conscious of this because people come to you with heavy stuff. And at the end of the day, irrespective of what you're going through, God's peace is available to you. So he wants to give you his perspective, and his perspective will give you peace. God in his word never promises to always answer our question of why. I, I, I said I was going to come back to this question of, if God is all loving, why does he allow bad things to happen? So in his word, he never promises, to, and now he, might, he might sometimes, okay, but not every time answer our question of why. But here's the good news. What he will do is reveal his perspective and ultimately his purpose in every season. I never really got an answer from God in terms of why I went through that physical ailment in 2019, but boy, did God give me his perspective. And boy, did God use that thing to change me in a huge way. I wish I had more time to share, share that story. And so if you think about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, Moses at the burning bush, or Jesus calming the storm, God wanted to give his perspective in those moments. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants. God wants us to see. And arguably the most infamous story on this is the story of Job. And so if you don't know the story of Job, I highly encourage you to read the story. Job was a very wealthy and blessed man. And I won't go into all the details, but he encountered a lot of trials, uh, half of which I would never want to wish on anybody, right? Um, and so God, and Job excuse me, wrestled with this same question. Why God? Why God? Why God? I know it's the same question we all wrestle with. 
We've all wrestled with this. Why, God? Why this? Why did this situation turn out this way, not this way? And God entertained him for a while. Job is a long book. Um, But then God rebuked Job. And God simply, check this out. You you can go look at the text if you want to. I think it's in chapters 39, 40, 41, somewhere in there. And, um, and, God, and God, like I just told you, he didn't answer Job's question in the way that Job wanted it answered. But what God did do is give Job perspective. God, God said stuff to Job, stuff like, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Like, like started like literally like flexing on Job. Like, like, you don't know the half about how this world works. And so God basically takes two chapters or so to show off and, uh, and here's Job's response. And, and I want to encourage this should always be our response. It's okay to wrestle with God, right? I think we've seen that the story of Job, the Bible talks about Job. It wasn't a sin issue. He didn't never sin, right? And so it's okay to wrestle with God, certainly. But how many know if you're really going to wrestle with God, uh, you're not going to win. <laughs> so, but you're going to be blessed, right? Just like, just, like, um, just like Jacob, right? You're going to be blessed. All right. So I'll read the scripture. So here's Job's response. Uh, verse, uh, Job 42, verse one, verses 1 and 5. Then Job answered the Lord, and he says, you kind of like, see, I kind of picture Job kind of hanging his head down and saying, okay, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Powerful verse. So good. And so there is no scenario. There was no scenario where Jesus allowed the atmosphere around him to change him. I know that's something that is easier said than done. I mean, Jesus did it, right? We struggle with it a lot, right? Things start to, you know, fireworks happen around us and we, 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 we tremble in fear and all this kind of thing. Um, but so, so, so a lot of times we're, we're, our first unction is for that thing to change. And again, I want to say this again. If you're believing in prayer for someone, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop pursuing. Don't stop seeking, right? However, in that interim, right, when you come up to the altar and you get, pray, pray, or you get prayed for or you pick up the phone and you're getting prayed for, okay, believe God. Submit that request to God. But in the meantime, believe God for peace. Believe and trust that peace can come now, even before your situation's changed. Amen? All right. Let me say this. Amen. Praise God. The source of peace, this is powerful, and again, wrestle with this at home like I'm currently wrestling with it, right? I'm not, you're not alone. The source of peace on the inside is greater than the outward burdens. This explains a whole lot. This explains why you can go uh, and do prison ministry, and you can see people in prison, in bondage, but be free. Like literally know Jesus and be absolutely free. You can see people walking on the streets and be free, but be in bondage. This explains that. So therefore, peace provides the perspective. That's really what we're getting to all along. Peace is the perspective. It helps us to transcend beyond our situations, right? This is exactly why Jesus, when he was in the boat with his disciples, he was sleeping and there were storms raging around. He was trying to teach them, I don't want you, your faith to be contingent upon what happens on the outside or what the things I can do for you. Yes, I can do those things for you. Of course he can. 
but he wants to produce something greater. What do we start this whole message with? God's interested in your situation. He is, I promise you, but he's interested in his greater purposes. And I also want to submit to you the, the kind of trick, kind of like the catch-22 to this is actually his greater purpose, it's actually better, better for you anyways. Like it's better for that, that, the way that your, your plan, that, you, that you, you have this whole thing working out, it's better for you anyways. Um, I believe, I really believe this. I could be wrong here. I could be wrong on this point. But I do believe that God looks to surprise us when we least expect it. I, I just, I believe this. At least in my life, it's been true that I wrestle with things for so long and finally just get to the place of peace. It took, takes time, and I wish I had a formula for you, but I don't. You just have to wrestle with it and pray, and you get the peace. And all of a sudden, I'm walking along, and God says, boop, <laughs> and there it is. Like, my wife and I, in a couple months, we're celebrating our, our 14th year anniversary. And, um, yeah, <laughs> praise God. And like many young, young people, when I was, I went to college and I was like, I was on the hunt, you know, I was like looking for my, my just like Pastor Dominic, right? And, and, and you know, he, he found his wife in college, but, you know, I didn't. So when I graduated college, I was like, oh, man, like, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know when I'm going to meet the one, right? Like wrestling with this thing, right? Wrestling. And so, but this same kind of these stages applied here. Like there was a pursuit of this thing, right? For sure. <laughs> there was a pursuit. But then as, as I was pursuing who would be my spouse, there was, God was preparing me. He was preparing me. And finally, I'll never forget, because Dr. Canton did a message and we were off over in the uh, embassy suites. Remember Pastor Clay's over in the embassy suites? And I, I, I forget his specific message. Uh, it was about uh, like Jacob and Rachel and Leah. <laughs> and God gave me so much perspective in that message. I walked out of there. I was at peace. I said, you know what, Lord? I'm at complete peace with your purpose for my life. And I gave that over to him. And it literally was like a couple weeks, excuse me, weeks. It was a couple months, but it was in that same year that I met Amanda. But God just surprised me. It was just out of nowhere. And so um, there's so many, uh, you know, other testimonies that I could certainly give, but I really believe that. I believe God wants to deal with that thing. But in the meantime, he wants you to focus, shift your focus elsewhere. And so in closing, the worship team can come up. Um, three ways to draw out purpose. Again, I, I keep saying this, but I really want you to hear me that God deeply cares about your situation for what you go through on a daily basis. I also want to encourage you to say, because we're talking about purpose, is I, I love this quote. This is from the late and great Dr. Miles Monroe. He says that, you are the way you are because of why you are. Let me say it again. You are the way you are because of why you are. You think about like fish have gills, right? They, they're that way. Well, why? Because their purpose is linked to the ocean. Birds have wings. They're that, they have wings because their purpose is linked to flight. It was probably even down to, it could be physical attributes. It could be the way that you process things, the way that um, you see the world. It could just be who you are. Oftentimes that's linked to your purpose, but it really does begin and end when we put that into his hands. Again, I, re I read this scripture before. I'm going to read it again and encourage you to take this, this scripture to your prayer time after this message with the Lord. It's Proverbs 20 and 5. It says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. I mean, it just doesn't live on the surface. Like, we're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're complex beings made in the image of God, right? 
It's like deep water, but man of understanding, a woman of understanding will draw it out. Okay, so three things. Number one, just like my shirt says, establish a rhythm of repentance. I think when I first heard about what repentance was, I just thought like, okay, you do it one time. Um, I think the next message I'm starting to prepare is that God does uh, everything, almost everything God does is through something called a rhythm. It's kind of awesome that the worship team is back up here. It's why we love music so much, through a rhythm or a cadence. I want to propose to you one of the rhythms or cadences that we must not only hold on to, but even further bolster is repentance. If you, <coughs> I went to, um, I, I, this may be a silly analogy, but <clears throat> I went to Florida a couple months ago and um, you drink the water down there and to me it tastes nasty. Like it tastes like sulfur or whatever. And um, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, as I was drinking this water, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he goes, Kyle, like at what point, how long would you have to be down here for you to not notice the difference? I was like, that's, a, that's an odd question because when you're down there with the Floridians, they don't know what you're talking about. It's just water. And the Holy Spirit later on showed me that um, that's kind of like sin, right? Like when you, we're all gonna, we all fall short of the glory of God. We mess up and we sin and we're supposed to immediately repent. But how long will it take for you to stay in that place of unrepentance before you just don't notice the difference anymore? John 1, 9 um, says, I think it's actually 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, ultimately, I think the power behind this verse is that it's, it's not so much that, because we know that Jesus died on the cross and he did, and, and as, as a result, all of sin, past, present, future has been forgiven. It's already done. But what God is saying basically to us is, is that don't come outside of the reality that still whatever is my word is true, is life. Anything counter to that, now you're in rebellion. So continue to call my word true, and I'm going to help you through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit become, have your actions and your thoughts and, your, and, and how you live become more and more in line with that. That's what repentance is truly all about. And we see that a lot, in today, what's taking a rise in mainstream is um, the very opposite. Call that thing that God called sin, just call it good. So that's your choice. So repentance. Number two, come in agreement with the word, with God's word. I love this, this, this verse. This is Ezra chapter seven, verse 10. It says, for Ezra, watch the progression here. Three things. For Ezra had set his heart to do what? Study the law of the Lord, to do it, and then to teach it. I think all of us in this room, whether you're called to it or not, in some way, shape, or form, we need to be, we need to be following Ezra's lead here. To study the word of the Lord. To do it and then teach it. It's like, um, it's like eating vegetables as a, as, a, as a child, you know? Um, we have to move past this whole, in our, in, our, in our Christian walk as, well, God's word says to do it. Uh, God commanded me to do it. Like, that's a great place to start, right? We want to we wanna do the things that God commanded us to do. But ultimately, what God's really after is he wants to give you, what I say is perspective, he wants to give you revelation to see how he sees. So you don't refrain just from, you know, doing these things just because God said. You, that's obviously a big part. But just much like David, your heart changes so that you desire to do what God wants you to do. It become, he changed your heart, just like, just like the scripture just said. 
Holy Spirit truly becomes the governor of your heart. So come in agreement with God's word. Psalms um, 119 verses 103 and 104 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. I mean, that's very much what it looks like to come in agreement with God's word. Not just as a, a, a list of the law, but become, it becomes a part of who you are, a part of your desires. And finally, sow and release. Sow and release. You know, ultimately, and this is, this is really a, a, a hard one to reconcile, is that we have to think about some of the things that we don't want to give up. You know, um, the evangelist and prophet Rita McPherson, she's, she's a very powerful woman of the Lord and she comes here and, and blesses us. But she talks about this all the time, about how she had to release um, her, you know, I, I, want, I want to say control, but her um, understanding of her purposes for her children. Like that was one of the things that was so hard for her to give over to God, to give her kids over to the Lord. You know, ultimately, in order for us to walk into what God has for us, we really do have to die to what we would call our plan or our purpose or our dream. It's like David, right? Like David, if you go back and read his story, he was first anointed king before he fought Goliath. And so you have to think like, right before he's getting ready to fight Goliath, he knows he should be king, but he has to think he's, just, he's a man as well. Like, man, there's a chance that I might not make it to be king if I die here today. Now, obviously we know the story and he absolutely was full of faith, but going back to that threshold of fear, there becomes a time in our life where we have to say, you know what? I have to let go of whatever I'm holding on to, whatever my perceptions are, and say, you know what, God, I'm gonna fully trust you. It's just like the Lord's Prayer, right? Like, it's, hallowed be not thy name, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not our will. And so, the last thing I'll say, and then we can all stand and, and close our eyes. If you think about it, the original purpose of Solomon's temple Go back and read the account. It was a meeting place with God. You know, it's really, the story is really fascinating if you go back and look at it. And, um, you know, first, second Kings, first and second Chronicles, I forget the, the scripture reference, but there's whole chapters devoted to how immaculate Solomon's temple was. Um, it is, if it was around today, um, it would be the most expensive, you know, building in the world, most likely. But if you read the very end of that account, it wasn't the temple that impressed, impressed the Lord, it was their hearts. And I wanna just submit to you today that um, ultimately, now we're in a new covenant, we are the temple. And so let's just close our eyes. You know, God is still looking to rule and reign in our hearts. And so Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that even though we all have things that you're familiar with, that you're intimate, uh, intimately familiar with, Lord God, and you understand them, you recognize them. Um, but we thank you, God, that we can trust you, that only you are able to take the things that we're going through, to take our past, mix it all together, and create something beautiful and wonderful and amazing from it. So Holy Spirit, I pray even right now, you're revealing yourself, you're providing peace, you're providing perspective, a much needed perspective in a dark and chaotic world that we live in today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would rule and reign on every single heart that is here this evening, those watching online. 
and that you would cause a stirring, a supernatural stirring, Father God, for us to go deeper in our in intimacy to you, with you. As you lead us into our new, uh, the next steps of our faith journey with you and or seasons with you, Father. And so we honor you, God. We pray that you bless the people, encourage them, uplift them. Even before we hit the, the car, Father God, that there will be an overwhelming peace that will overtake all of us, Father God. So we love you. We glorify you. We magnify you. We declare all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 All right. Praise God. Have a good evening, everyone. Live right, love everyone. Praise, pray hard. I'll see you. We'll see you Sunday afternoon here. If you have any prayer needs, the altar ministers, myself, will be up here. Feel free to hang out and worship. God bless you.